You're listening to the Health Disparities Podcast from Movement is Life, conversations about health disparities with people who are working to eliminate them. I'm Dr. Rose Gonzalez, one of the registered nurses on the Movement is Life Steering Committee, and joining me today is Mary Behrens, a family nurse practitioner from Wyoming, here to discuss how nurse practitioners impact health disparities. Welcome, Mary. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Rose. So, Mary, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, you know, kind of the area you're from, and and, um, your work as a nurse practitioner. Okay, so I work as a family nurse practitioner in Wyoming, which is the smallest populated state in the union, and also it's a very large state, so we have less than two people per square mile. I work in an all-nurse practitioner clinic, and that means we can take care of uh, all problems. Um, I uh, can diagnose and treat common ailments. Um, I can manage uh, uncomplicated chronic illnesses, such as diabetes and hypertension, as examples. And um, having been elected at three levels of government, I know the struggles lawmakers go through to meet the costs associated with chronic illness, Medicare, Medicaid, and healthcare disparities. So, so nurse practitioners, I, you know, I hear a lot about nurse practitioners, and I know you you represent a, an organization of nurse practitioners. Seems like that that term, nurse practitioners, is um, is just becoming more prevalent today, and sounds like they do a lot of the same things that physicians do. Um, Talk to me about the organization that you represent on, um, on Movement is Life and uh, some of the work that they're doing um, in, in healthcare. Okay, so AANP, which is the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, represents over 270,000 nurse practitioners across our country. And they are primarily de- delivering primary care to millions of Americans who might not have access to care. It is the voice for nurse practitioners and also their patients. So actually last year, uh, nurse practitioners saw over 1.6 billion visits. Um, And AANP uh, advocates for nurse practitioners that they can have uh, full practice authority, which means that they can practice to the fullest of their education. Of their education, of their fullest extent of their education and licensure, which means, like, again, I can come in as a patient, you could see what's wrong with me, um, identify it, then you could treat me, give me a prescription, and follow me, and actually follow me as a patient, right? Yes, yes. Through my lifespan in right. many ways, right? Right. And the interesting thing, there's about um, 80, 80% of the nurse practitioners um, work in primary care, and 50% have actually hospital uh, privileges. Wow. So now they're able to be in the hospital, too. Correct. So uh, the majority is in primary care, but you can also be involved in acute and specialty care. And specialty care. Mm -hmm. So with nurse practitioners, do you think that the nurse practitioners, do they... Uh, practice primarily like in a state like Wyoming, or are they in, I, I hear that you, you said they're, they're growing, and we have large numbers, so they function in, in rural as well as urban areas? 
Right, so you'll see nurse practitioners all over the United States, but a lot of nurse practitioners do work in rural areas where your patients are the sickest and the poorest and most uninsured. But they also work in um, urban environments. And I think about a nurse practitioner uh, during uh, Katrina down in New Orleans, which is an urban area. And there people were struggling, and so she started Operation House Call. And so she went to where the patients were the wow. neediest in their the, in their home, and she, she actually wrote a book uh, called House Calls One Hundred and One. It's so, and that is exciting. And uh, she right now has a clinic in a public housing area. Again, being close to the patient. So her her mantra and my mantra is: you need to go to where the patient is. Okay, so so seeing that that's one of their mantras. Uh, going to where the patient is. Talk to me a little bit about um, how they fit into the healthcare disparities. And when I say healthcare disparities, I really mean how people are treated differently in different areas of the country because of where they live or because of the color of their skin or because of um, the um, the language that they speak, how how do nurse practitioners, since you say they go to where the patient is, how are they addressing healthcare disparities? Um, I think that the fact that they tend to work in primary care where people, this is the first place usually people go to receive care and they are located in areas of um either in rural areas or very urban areas, so that they have a clinic that is easy, easily accessible. Um, I know in my own practice, we saw anyone that walked through our door, whether Medicare or Medicaid, um, and we saw many patients also from, from the jail. So they so they see Medicare, Medicaid. Do do they bill independently? Do they um, so they have their own practice? Many right. If you have full practice authority, and interestingly enough, there's only 23 states that have full practice authority, and then other states are working towards it. And so yes, if you have your own private practice and hang out your shingle, so to speak, you would do your own billing. Now, if you worked uh, under a physician practice, then that practice would do the billing for you. So you, so that gives you a lot of independence then, because you could see the patients, you could bill for them, you can get reimbursement. Um, so you can set up your clinics anywhere. Correct. Okay. Yes. That, that, I think that's Pretty an much. important thing, right. And the other thing you see a lot of nurse practitioners too in the concept of the minute clinics now. So in your um, uh, Walgreens that might have a minute clinic or CVS pharmacies, I believe, have minute clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, they're within easy access for people to, to get see. Yeah. So, um, so let's go back to the disparities issue with um, if they're working in underserved areas, probably in rural areas, they're pretty underserved. Um, do what kind of challenges do you think they they run into working with the different populations? Um, is it hard to um, for them uh, to um, to to work with a patient, let's say, who doesn't speak their same language, or um, 
you know, how do they go about interacting with the patients? Because I think people don't don't really have an understanding. They understand what a doctor is, and we're trying to clarify what a nurse practitioner does. Um, do you see that maybe they, because of their approach and their different uh, mode of training, that they can communicate better with the patient and interact patient and in that way help to decrease disparities? Um, so a nurse practitioner is a nurse first and then gets additional education and training to work with the patient. So I think our focus is, is a little different. We tend to look at the whole patient, uh, not just at the disease process. So even though we might have a disease going on, we also, our concern is how is this person coping with this disease? Um, are they able to pay for their medications? What is the cheapest medication? And are they even going to take their medications? Um, also, I think it's important, too, that once they understand about how important the medications are and they're still having problems, hey, call me if you have a question or a problem. I want to know. So when we're also talking about language issues, and certainly that is a challenge, I think it's important to have someone there that can help you interpret. Um, but those are certainly... Um, uh, challenges, and I, I have experienced that in my own practice of perhaps the family bringing a, a younger f member that can speak English, mm -hmm. and that makes it very difficult when you're talking about the pa patient-client relationship. Right. So having in, uh, interpreters, and that's very difficult in a rural area. Mm -hmm. So that must put the nurse practitioner in an awkward position to, if they don't understand the language to, you know, the family member comes in, you hope that that family member is not a child. Right. And I, that had, I actually had a 10-year-old come in with a woman who had women's health issues. So as you could imagine, um, it, I needed actually to check with the hospital and find someone that could speak Spanish because uh, I, I knew this wasn't going to, to work. <laughs> right, right. It doesn't yeah. sound like that's no. a good situation, but good for you for uh, reaching out for resources. I also heard some nurse practitioners dealing with um, always almost going the extra mile for their patients because it sounds like they develop a very good relationship. So do you... Um, for instance, the patient comes in and says, I don't have enough money. I don't know if I have money for my scripts. I've heard stories about nurse practitioners going the extra mile and maybe researching, uh, maybe pharmacies for their patients. Right. In fact, that's just a common thing in our practice every day. Um, certainly, usually generics are cheaper, but we, we call around and kind of learn where the cheapest uh, medications are. Um, if there's any help at pharmacies, sometimes if they fill out a form um, and they reach a certain, you know, and, and their income allows them to get some special help. But if they're not going to take their medication, then it's in, the prescription isn't uh, very important. Right, and, right. If you, you could write a script, if they can't afford it and they can't go to that pharmacy to pick it up, it's useless. For right. to impact their disease process. Right. So you really do have to be aware of costs. So I want to get uh, to a little bit about the vicious cycle that we talk about in Movement is Life, the coalition that um, you, you are a representative and, and sit on. 
Um, and we talk about the vicious cycle of the joint pain and um, inactivity, obesity, comorbid conditions that occur with that cardiac disease. Um, do you nurse practitioners see a lot of patients with joint pain and then the, the comorbid conditions that arise due to inactivity? Absolutely. I was going to say, um, and one of the things, um, it's it is usually a symptom isn't isolated. And frequently when you do see someone with joint pain, they may be overweight. Um, and they also may, might be uh, diabetic. And so it does raise concerns. And if, you know, just the other issue that I see, if you just tell someone you need to walk more, um, and the person says, I'm having trouble getting out of the chair, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's probably not uh, the best advice. Um, also, many times, is it safe, or do they have a place to walk? Or how do I work walking in when I'm raising three children and I have a part-time job, and there just isn't time in my day? So I think as a nurse practitioner, we have to be very creative of what we're talking about in movement. For example, maybe I can only uh, walk for five minutes and I need to break it up in four different stages uh, instead of telling someone to go walk for a couple miles a day. Mm-hmm. Sounds practical. Yeah. L- yeah. Looking at, so again, using your training, education and training of really viewing the whole patient and looking at you know, we already talk about some of the social determinants, you know, lack of finances to buy, you know, maybe prescription medications. Um, now, you know, what if they don't have the time or the space or um, the wherewithal to be able to walk, giving them recommendations? So looking at the whole picture, that is the holistic care that comes through your training. Right. Right. And the other thing I think is follow-up. If you give someone a plan, I think it's really important to do follow-up to see that they're able to do what, what is suggested. And if that's not working, to try to figure something else out. But I always think nurses are very creative. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, so your role on, on the steering committee, what do you believe you bring to the table to the Movement is Life steering committee? Well, I think I bring the nurse practitioner uh, role to the table. I think sometimes uh, we have many physicians and other kinds of uh, physical therapists, uh, PAs, and it's all um, really great that we're working as a team. I think we just can't have one voice, but I, I think that nurse practitioners have a long history in how do we help prevent the disease process before it starts. What can I do in my life to um, reduce my disease uh, process from going further? Do you, do you um, when you see patients, that uh, relationship, do you, in your practice and what you've seen with nurse practitioners, there is there a more comfortable relationship than you would say that you you believe occurs um, than with many other providers because of your training? Are they, do you see the patients, are they more open or more able to set up that partnership with you because of their, your holistic approach? Yeah, studies have shown that nurse practitioners tend to spend more time with their patients. 
Um, I also think that it, uh, I worked, uh, I am a family nurse practitioner, but I did do a lot of women's health. And what was interesting, many times uh, women would come and say, I feel more comfortable seeing a woman. Um, sometimes just doctor scares somebody away. So as a nurse practitioner, um, and, and this is true with nurses in hospital too, that sometimes patients feel more comfortable, uh, maybe not talking to the doctor, so to speak. But I found that that was a common theme with, with many of my patients. Now, do nurse practitioners work with physicians? Are they, do they, you say yes. they have a good relationship with them? Uh, absolutely. When it's very important we have good relationships with physicians because we need to refer um, to specialists. Um, and I also um, had to chuckle in my own practice because I, I had many physicians that referred patients to me because they thought I might do a better job working with well, this patient. Well, that's interesting. That, that shows acceptance across, the, not, you know, as partners in that healthcare arena rather than the opposition we, t- we typically hear from providers. Um, do you see, you say the numbers are growing. Do you think that nurse practitioners will see more of them? And do you think that they'll be able to better address health disparities across the nation? Okay, right now there's over 270,000 nurse practitioners, and we're graduating around 28,000 a year. So it's growing in leaps and bounds. Wow. Now, do you think because of their approach that they would be able to address the differences in care um, that happen because you can't access a provider, so really addressing health disparities? Absolutely. I think we're going to see uh, nurse practitioners working in all sorts of areas, whether it's in rural or in, in towns. And I also think that if you can grow nurse practitioners in health disparity areas, that if the nurse practitioner looks like their clients, um, that is important too. Do you think there are efforts being made to kind of encourage people of color to come into that, into nursing and into then to move on to become nurse practitioners. Right. I think, I think that is key. And also with Latino and Asian, Native American too, a lot of encouragement. And African American and, probably too. Yes, I know the, the Black Nurses uh, mm-hmm. Association, National Black Nurses Association have a role in helping to get the messaging out. So you think that could imp- help to improve where where the provider then looks a little bit more like the patient? Correct. Okay, and, and maybe- I think schools are beginning. I think that also is a, a mission of many of the schools of nursing and schools of uh, nurse practitioners that we need to be focusing on um, a broader s- scope. scope. Yeah. Yeah. Now, does the association American Association of Nurse Practitioners? Do you, um, you, you're a member, and you, you see them uh, trying to play a bigger role maybe in um, reaching out to diverse communities and really welcoming uh, and encouraging nurse practitioners to work in maybe um, uh, rural as well as uh, urban areas that maybe are underserved? Right. Well, I actually, you know, the nurse practitioner movement did start in rural Colorado. And um, and I, I think statistics have borne out that you do see uh, more nurse practitioners in, well, in healthcare disparate areas. In other words, there are no physicians practicing 
Um, so um, I think that they have done um, quite a bit in this area. And it's, I think it's only going to grow. That's wonderful. So let me ask you, if you were to um, leave our listeners uh, with some healthcare pearls of wisdom related to healthcare encounters, you know, since you seem to epitomize, nurse practitioners seem to epitomize in many ways, that's how, how they're trained, um, really that crucial patient-provider relationship that leads to optimal health encounters and hopefully health. If you were to leave our listeners with some healthcare pearls of wisdom related to these health encounters, what would they be? Don't uh, judge a book by its cover. One of my uh, patients came to my office. She was dressed in orange, shackles, chains. She had a guard, and the guard said to me that she was a flight risk. Um, I looked at her, and she looked pretty sad. I knew right away I needed to provide an environment that I could see her in. So I told the guard that I needed to have the chains off to examine her. And we needed privacy. She kind of looked at me strangely and I said, well, this is the only way it's going to work. And so um, the guard, uh, actually, I provided a chair outside my office. But this particular client um, then just kind of spilled her heart and soul. She had been arrested, but her mother had had a drug party at at the home and, and she swore she had not been involved, yet she got scooped up. She was um, 15 years old. <gasps> and uh, it was a, it just a very difficult time. But I, I got to follow her for over two years. And um, I watched her grow and blossom. And um, when she was in jail, she told me the only time she felt normal is when she came to visit me. And now... She um, graduated from high school. She doesn't do drugs. Uh, she, she didn't get pregnant. Yes. And she has her high school diploma. Oh, my gosh. So we, we never know how we're going to impact that one individual. What we do impacts that one individual. Certainly you... Having the courage, because you may have been scared. Well, I don't know if you were scared when you saw her in shackles. You know, you think about the worst when you see people. Right. And like you said, you know. Something just told me looking at her. But I think uh, probably my years of nursing experience that somehow I, I knew there was something more to the story. And, and you made a difference in this you, you, this young woman's life. You may have, you know really changed her life for the better. And that was just in one healthcare encounter, or well, in the relationship that you developed over the years with her as her provider. That's a, that's a fabulous story. Thank you for sharing that. So I want to th- uh, thank you for joining today and sharing these stories. They're marvelous. I, I wish nurse practitioners much success in, in their endeavors and in really reaching out to our communities that so desperately need the care that they give. So, And I want to thank you for joining us today on the MIL Health Disparities Podcast. Please check out our website at movementislifecaucus.com and join us in moving the needle towards health equity in the musculoskeletal arena.